chapter 17, verse 22. Amen. I'm thankful to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen. I, I give honor to my pastor. Amen. He gives me guidance. I, uh, I talked to him last night, and he asked how I was doing, and I said, well, I, I'm torn in half. I don't know what to do. I, I was working on something to preach, and then all of a sudden it felt like I should go a different direction, and, and it's just not coming together, and he said, well, just go with, with your first instinct, and so here we are, and we're going to do what my pastor told me, amen, so I believe I'm in the will of God today, amen, amen, First Samuel 17, verse 22, <clears throat> and David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. Now let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 28. We'll begin in verse 1. Ezekiel 28 and 1, the word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto the prince of Tyrus, Thus saith the Lord God, because thine heart is lifted up, and thou hast said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of God, in the midst of the seas. Yet thou art a man, and not God, though thou set thine heart as the heart of God. Behold, thou art wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that they can hide, of, hide from thee. And it's important to realize if you read later on in the chapter that this is speaking of the devil. It talks about how that he was there at the creation of man and his covering was all the beautiful stones of the earth. And so we find here that uh, he's prophesying, Ezekiel is prophesying against Satan. And he says that he is wiser than Daniel. Now let's turn to Joel chapter 2. Verse 25. Joel 22 and 25. And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. And I want to preach today from the thought, giants, princes, and locusts. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. In Jesus' name, Lord, I need your anointing upon me today, God. Lord Jesus, to deliver the word that you've given unto me, God. Lord, I pray for your anointing upon me. Let your words be in my tongue, oh God, I pray. Lord, let the hearts be prepared to receive the word of God. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would wrought a great victory in this house, God. Lord, I pray that you would win today, God. Show us, oh God, that you have all power. And when we call upon you, that there is nothing too hard, God. I thank you for what you're going to do today. I praise you for it. In Jesus' name, thank you, God, for what you're doing already. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. You can be seated in Jesus' name. 
Giants use their size as a means of intimidation. 1 Peter 5 and 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Giants or bullies are always extremely vocal. You always know they're there because they're always talking to you. They'll find every reason why you can't do something. They'll tell you you're too little, you're too weak, you're not old enough, you're not strong enough. And then they'll dare, you, they'll dare you to try anyways. They'll always be right by your side. As long as you continue to bow to their whims. As long as you continue to listen to them. And continue to be obedient and give them your lunch money. They'll be right by your side. Hounding you, discouraging you, scaring you. They'll always pick on those smaller and less intelligent than them. I've never seen a bully pick on somebody bigger than them before. I've never seen a bully pick on somebody smarter than them. Because if you're smarter than the bully, you can outwit them every time. <clears throat> they're often, most, they're very cynical observers. They're very observant. And they're quick to point out flaws in other people. They're quick to see what you do wrong. They're quick to see what you could do better. They're quick to see that you can't do it. They're quick to see that you're, you're a failure. But they're too blind to see their own handicap. Satan as a giant, he has the loudest voice, yet he is almost never audibly heard. He's always in your ear, whispering, loudly as can be, trying to convince you that you can't do it. Matthew 12 and 22, it's a story of a man that cannot speak Matthew 12, 22. Then, what, then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb. And he healed him insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. Right. Satan's voice became so loud in that man's life that it silenced his voice that was meant to worship God. That's the devil's ultimate purpose is to make you shut up and be quiet. Nobody has to ask the devil to come to church. The devil writes his own invitations. He says, I've got an open invitation. Anytime I want to come to church, I'm going to write my own, and I'm going to plop myself down on the pew. And then when he gets there, he comes to see just how many, he, how many people he can make be quiet. He's going to see how much he can control the service. He's going to see how many people he, he can tell. You're, you look too crazy. Don't do, don't do that. You should not do that because you might, you might mess your hair up or, or you, might, you might sweat a little bit. And you might have to get a shower when you get home before you come to church tonight. So, so just sit in your pew. It's all right. It's just Sunday morning. And he will do that and see just how many. It's his game to see how many he can deceive and how many he can intimidate into doing nothing at church. It's never a good thing. When the devil's smiling after church. I've seen the devil smile after church and it irritates me to no end. Right. It makes me sick. It means that we didn't do our job. Come on, we were, I was working with a man and uh, I'm a part of a union. And uh, this man I'm working with uh, sits on a board where he deals with the contractors. And um, they were arguing about wages um, that we need to get paid more because the contractor's making too much money. 
And uh, we were talking, and he said something, and it really struck me. He said, he said, it's never a good thing when the contractors are walking out of the room with a smile on their face. It means they won. And that's where I, I came up with the saying, it's never a good thing when the devil's smiling after church. We've got to remember that, one, we're created lower than the angels in Psalms 8 and 5. And second, the devil is still an angel, albeit a fallen one. So we're lower, without the power of the Holy Ghost, we're lower than the devil. With his power as an angel, man is his, is his subordinate. God's angels are watchmen over the earth to see that good comes from it. But fallen angels do exactly the opposite. Destroy the creation. Since mankind as a whole is under satanic rule, Satan does what he pleases. He creates doubt. He creates fear. He makes you tell lies. Makes you murder. Have jealousy, etc., etc. And everybody under his authority. Once he convinces someone to doubt, to fear, to lie, to murder, to be jealous, then he sits back and laughs at how stupid you were to do such a thing and to get caught. Now, we can defeat the devil as a giant. There's one way that we can defeat him as a giant. In, our, in ourselves, we can't do it by ourselves. We can think good thoughts, we can be a good person, we can give to the poor, we can do all that. But we're still under his control. There's only one thing, one person higher than and more mighty than the, than the devil. And that's God. When Michael the angel fought against Satan for the body of Moses and Jude, Michael could not defeat Satan on his own. Satan was his equal. Michael understood this very well. He understood where he was at. He understood his limitations. He understood his capabilities. And so he used his capabilities and said, The Lord rebuke thee, Satan. He didn't try to do it in himself. He said, the Lord rebuke thee. When the devil starts bullying us, just like if a bully starts bullying us at school, we got to start calling on our teacher for help. Jesus, we need you. Jesus, we're calling upon you, God. We need you to defeat this bully and this giant that's risen up against us, that's trying to stop us, that's trying to intimidate us. That's why Satan tries to shut our mouths. It's the one way that we can defeat him, by rebuking him and calling upon the name of Jesus. And if we defeat Satan as a giant, he will come to you and try to deceive you like a prince. Satan versus Daniel. Ezekiel 28 and 3 said that he was wiser than Daniel. Daniel, the man that reveals dreams, the man that prophesies, the man that is the, man, the, man that is the king's closest advisor, has someone that's better than him. It's hard to believe. It's hard to imagine. As hard as we try to outwit and beat satanic influences, he will always have the edge without the Holy Ghost. We in ourselves are woefully young compared to the amount of time that Satan has been around. And thus, he has greater experience with every personality and human emotion. He's been around for thousands of years. Our cumulative age in this house is probably less or around a thousand years we're, we're nothing compared to Satan in the time that Satan's been around he's seen it all, he's done it all he's, he's got an answer for everything you can do outside the Holy Ghost <clears throat> he uses his knowledge as a prince to manipulate humans into obeying his desires we see this with Eve in the garden 
that he, he told Eve, he beguiled her. He used his beauty as the serpent. He said, you won't surely die. You can do that and get away with it. There's nothing wrong with it. He'll don his best appear, apparel and appear as an angel of light. In Romans 11 and 14, we see that. He'll appeal to us with the glitter and the glamour. He'll make everything look bright and beautiful. And he'll do his very best to deceive us. If he can't bully us into doing what he wants, he will try to deceive us and twist the word of God. Just like he did with Jesus. Princes and rulers are very powerful, intelligent, and rich beings. Satan used that power, as I mentioned, to tempt Jesus. Matthew chapter 4 and 3. 5 and 6 and 8 and 9. He uses his princely power to tempt us as well. He can give us anything we could ever want in this world. Money, fame, land, glory, you name it, he's got it. He can give it to you. He's going to reveal points of view. When he's a prince, he'll review points of, he'll review points of view that are contrary to what the pastor preaches. He'll, says, he'll tell you it'll lead to the same end result. You can do what you want. You can live like you want, and you'll have the same end result. He comes to you as a prince to deceive you. He offers great sums of money. If you'll just compromise on just one little thing. <clears throat> Defeating the devil as a prince. We've got to remind Satan of one, who he is. He's a serpent. He's not just a serpent. But he's a serpent that had his legs ripped off of him. He's crippled. He's disabled. We've got, to, we've got to remind him what he's done. He was dumb enough to get kicked out of heaven. He's not all that intelligent. I mean, if you're already there, we're striving to go there, and he got himself kicked out. How hard is it to get kicked out of heaven? It's pretty dumb if you ask me. He had his title stripped from him from God, by God. His name was Lucifer. When he was cast out of heaven, he got that title stripped from him. And three, we got to remind him of where he's at. Under our feet, crushed by the God of peace, as it says in Romans 16 and 20. And we have to remind him, devil, you're headed to a place down there even further than you are right now. We're going to be way above you. Your future is nothing. You have no future, devil. We've got to put on the whole armor of God so we can stand against the schemes, against the wiles of the devil. Like it says in Ephesians 6, we're not fighting flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers of high places, darkness in this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. We have to pray if we're going to defeat, defeat the devil as a prince. If we're constantly talking to God, it's hard for Satan to slip a word in. And the next thing you can do, tell him in Jesus' name, be quiet, devil. Amen. Amen, amen. You can be seated. We in Pentecost, we are very familiar today, I believe, with how to defeat Satan as a giant and as a prince. We've heard many messages about we can stomp on the devil's head. We can call upon the name of Jesus. And indeed, those are all great things. Those are those are legitimate ways to defeat Satan we can do it that's that's the way to defeat that devil but when Satan comes to you like a locust it's like he's sneaking in the back door let's go to Joel chapter 2 and 25 I want to explain that verse before I move on I was listening and as Pastor Carricker preached 
several weeks ago and he read this verse and I saw some footnotes next to each of the insects that this verse mentions and it struck me. It says, I will restore the years that the locust hath eaten, the cankerworm, the caterpillar, and the palmer worm. Now, we have to remember that the Bible was translated into English, so they, it was a transliteration, but they translated it with things that would make sense to the reader in English. So whatever insects that were the same type of insects that defeated the same purpose, that they would try, they did the same thing, they ate the same plants, they maybe looked the same, they would use, they would use words so the canker worm, the palmer worm, the caterpillar, those were all English animals that had an Israeli or a Jewish counterpart in the Hebrew tongue. And in the original language, in the footnote for that in my Bible, so the locust is the swarming locust, the canker worm is the crawling locust, and the caterpillar is the consuming locust, and the palmer worm is the chewing locust. And some of us have grown gardens in the summertime. I think the Swartz and Troopers have one. Uh, it takes a lot of sweat, a lot of hard labor. It's nice to have fresh food. But to us in the 21st century, it's not really a necessity. We have the grocery store. We have Jackson Meat, Smith's Market. We have all that stuff where we can go get our food. I, had a, I have a grapevine in my backyard. And uh, I've gotten grapes off of it one year out of the three years that I've owned the house, and the first year I owned it, I saw the grapevine, I wasn't living there yet, and I saw the grapes growing, and I saw them growing a little more, and then it got to about the time of peak, so about the second to last week of July, and we went to peak, and I came back, and all of the, every one of my grapes were gone, I was mad, last year I got them, and then this year again, I kept waiting for them to get a little bigger, because we're in the middle of a drought, and uh, they weren't getting enough water, and so I was hoping they'd get a little bit bigger before I picked them. And sure enough, the week of peak, it must have been the time that they were ripe, and I went out one day, they were there, and the next day, they were gone. And uh, we can tolerate bugs if they eat some of our plants or some of our fruit because they're not essential. It was a disappointment to me. It was frustrating because I was looking forward to getting to eat some homegrown grapes, and, um, but it's not, it wasn't a deal breaker for me. I wasn't going to go hungry because those, those grapes got eaten by those bugs or birds or whatever they were. Now, I want you to use your imagination with me for just a little bit. We, uh, in our history, um, in 1874, so imagine you're a settler that you own 80 acres of land and you, uh, you've built a house for yourself, you've plowed the dirt, you've worked hard, horse and plow, many days of hard labor, and um, you've planted your corn, your, your corn's growing good, you've got rain at all the right times, remember you're depending upon this corn, you're depending upon this food to make it through to the next harvest. The harvest is just around the corner. It's not been too hot. It's not been too cold. 
just rain all, all the right times. Everything's gone just as perfect as you can imagine. Your corn's tall, probably nine, ten foot tall almost. The ears are beautiful. There's two ears of corn on every stalk. And after a hard day of labor, imagine that you're sitting on your porch of your sod house looking out at what a harvest you're going to have this year. It's beautiful. It's green. As far as you can see, you've worked hard. You're getting ready to reap the benefit. And then in the distance, you look up and you see a cloud. It's black as night. It breaks the horizon. And it grows larger in fear of a hailstorm that would flatten a field begins to loom. We have that fear today. The farmers still fear that. There's nothing they can do about a hailstorm. A hailstorm comes through and flattens everything. Sometimes they can uh, lower their combine heads and, and get the wheat and the corn still, but many times it's very disastrous to them when they have a hailstorm come through. And so you begin to fear, oh no, all of my hard work, I'm not going to get a harvest, I'm not going to have food, I'm not going to have anything to sell to, pour, to pay my mortgage. And you begin to fear a little bit. And as it draws nearer, a sound begins to come from this cloud that now covers the horizon from the east to the west. And before you know it, that cloud is upon you and it drowns the sun into complete darkness. This cloud is much more fearsome than hail. It's the Rocky Mountain locust. The sound of chewing jaws fill the ears. And with horror... That field that you were just looking at, that green field that was ready for harvest, begins to be devoured by literally, literally billions of four-inch long bugs. This story is true. It's not just something I'm making up. You can go back and read it online. It's the Locust Plague of 1874. Survivors recount wading into the midst of the onslaught with torches trying to burn the bugs, with clubs trying to smash them with branches, anything that they could use to kill these invading creatures. But for everyone that was killed, there was a hundred more to take their place. Some testified that their clothes that was woven from cotton began to be eaten off of their very back as they were standing there. Leather saddles made from cow hides were chewed up by these marauding locusts. Nothing could be done to stop the utter destruction of a livelihood. One canny victim later said they ate everything but the mortgage. Some tried putting blankets over small portions of their crop trying to protect it, only to have the locust eat the blanket too. Others tried building bonfires to burn them as they would come through and choke them out with smoke. But there were so many locusts, and they were so numerous, that they smothered the fire itself. Trains would get, struck on, would get stuck on train tracks because of how many locusts landed on the tracks. When the train would run them over, it would grease the tracks to the point that the, tr that the train could not get any traction, and they would sit there and spin their wheels. Whole families would die from starvation as a result of the destruction of their food supplies. A newspaper noted, in one case, a family of six died within six days of each other from the want of food to keep body and soul together. From present indications, the future four months will make many graves marked with a piece of wood with the inscription, starved to death on it. There were many inventions made to, to trap this hated creature. There's much discussion held of what they could do, and the government even made mandates. Missouri enacted a law that every able-bodied person, man, woman, boy, girl, had to dedicate at least one day 
and better if two every, day, every week to plowing up fields and, clo- and killing the locust larvae. None of it worked. The locusts kept destroying. Year after year, 1874, 1875, up until the 1900s, the early 1900s, it destroyed. And then all of a sudden, it was gone. It was extinct. Almost seemingly to those at that time overnight, the Rocky Mountain locust, whose swarm at one time reached 100 miles wide and destroyed everything from the Dakotas clear down to Texas, was gone from the earth by the early 1900s, just 30 years after its heyday. Scientists yet today argue what exactly caused their demise, but there is one prevailing theory. The locust breeding grounds was in the as-yet untamed portions of Colorado and Wyoming. As settlers moved into those areas of Wyoming and Colorado, they began to plow up those old, those old breeding grounds that the locusts used. And at the same time that they were plowing up those fields to plant crops, at the same time they were doing that, they crushed that would destroy them for so long. And it seems we, as a church, begin to do well for a time. We've baptized some. We have some get the Holy Ghost. And then the devil, like a locust, comes in and tries to wreck all the progress that we've made. Our harvest is growing. We can see our harvest. It looks beautiful. We've had moves of the Holy Ghost at all the right time. And then all of a sudden, it seems like everything's just wiped out in an instant. He chews up your motivation. He sucks your joy out. And then he'll leave you with no spiritual food in the pantry and no fruit on the vine. But when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Isaiah 59 and 19. Sister Moore, if you'd come. The only way to defeat Satan as a locust is to have revival. Just like the settlers that kept pushing west, if they would have stayed in Kansas, if they would have stayed in Nebraska, if they would have stayed in Dakota, if they would have stayed in Oklahoma and Texas, we would still today have the same issues with those locusts coming in and eating our crops and destroying our crops. But because they had a made-up mind, I don't care how many times the locust destroys my food. I don't care how many times they destroy my harvest. I'm going to keep pushing further. I'm going to keep going further. I'm going to keep having revival. I'm going to find new territory. I'm going to find another soul that hasn't heard the gospel yet. We can't just keep planting the same fields. We've got to find fallow ground. We've got to break it up. We've got to plant seed. We've got to have revival. We can pray. We can fast. We can call on Jesus. But we've got to get out in the new fields, in the new territory. And we've got to plant the plow deep. We've got to get to the harvest. We've got to get it before the devil, like a locust, does. Maybe the devil is intimidating you this morning like a giant. Maybe he's telling you you can't live for God. Maybe he's telling you that you don't have the right resources to live for God. Maybe he's telling you that you're too dumb, that you don't have the smarts to do it, that you don't have the will to do it. Maybe he's trying to deceive you like a prince, and he's trying to tell you that I can give you more money. If you'll do it my way, I'll I'll make you rich. I'll make you happy. I'll give you all the peace that you want. Maybe he's trying to do that like a prince or maybe like a locust. He's coming in and stolen your harvest. But I'm telling you today that today is your day to flip the table on him. Amen. If you come to this front, I believe that God will give the victory. If you begin to call on the name of Jesus and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. God, I need you today to win the victory for me, God. I need you to destroy this giant in this bully. Come on to the front. 
Jesus, we need you to destroy the spirits of hell that have fought our church. God, we need you to win the victory for us. God, I rebuke every spirit of hell in Jesus' name that tries to deceive your church, God. I thank you, God, for the victory of the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name, thank you, God. Hallelujah, God. No matter what the weapon is, I want you to know that we win. No matter what the weapon is, I want you to know that we win. No matter what the weapon is, I want you to know we win. Yeah, we win. Oh, today's the day for victory. We oh, win. Satan, you don't have no power we in this win. house in Jesus' name. We win. In Jesus' we name, win. I rebuke you, spirit of hell. We win. I take authority over you, devil, in Jesus' name. No matter what I'm the sick weapon of you stealing is, my I want harvest, you to devil. know. We win. I'm going into new territory in Jesus' name. In no Jesus' name, we're going to win the victory. We're going to eradicate you, devil. In Jesus' name, I thank you for the victory No matter what the weapon is, I want you to know. We win. Yeah, we win. 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 No matter what the weapon is, I want you to know. We win. No matter what the weapon is, I want you to know. We win. No matter what the weapon is, I want you to know. We win. Yeah, we win. 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 We 